Welcome back to the For the Ladies podcast. For today's episode, we welcome Elizabeth Nelson as our next Ladies of Golf feature. But first, the latest in women's golf. At the Augusta National Women's Amateur, 17-year-old Tsubasa Kajitani of Japan shot an even par 72 and defeated Emilia Miliacho on the first hole of a sudden-death playoff to win. She shared how she can't imagine what the reception will be like in her home country, but we can probably say she's now a rock star. It was a really nice um, appetizer, entree, kind of all the above to welcome the Masters this week, and I'm just excited to see how this event continues in the future. The grand finale of the weekend, though, was the ANA Inspiration, which kept us glued to our screens to the very end. 15-time winner Lydia Ko gave us a show on Sunday. She chased down eventual winner Patty Tabatanikit with an insane final round. She posted a 62 and tied the 18-hole scoring record at the ANA, and I really thought like we could have had a crazy playoff in the end. <laughs> but Patty outlasted the field each round, going wire to wire to win her first LPGA Tour title and major. Coming from the minor leagues, also known as the Symmetra Tour, Patty put on an absolute clinic. Even when pressed by Lydia Ko, she was just nails in all aspects of her game. So congrats to Patty, and here's to hopefully having the major on network coverage next year. For this Ladies of Golf episode, we welcomed a rock star. Yep, really. Elizabeth Nelson is a singer-songwriter for the DC-based garage punk band The Paranoid Style. She is a regular contributor to The Ringer, Oxford American, Pitchfork, and The Golfer's Journal. We talk about her love of the sport and the characters that it creates, her writing style, and how music has a place in golf. I hope you enjoy. Okay, I'm just going to record and we'll just kind of go into it. But for Ladies of Golf, we start every episode with a quick nine. So I have yours. Um, what was the last book you read? The last book I read was um, David Chang's Eat a Peach. Um, I don't know if you've read it. He's like a, mm -hmm. he's a chef um, and he's got a couple restaurants, but he used to be um, quite a good golfer actually. Oh. And so um, a lot of the book is about his, um, his journey from young, uh, you know, uh, like promising young golfer uh, who kind of fails ultimately. And then he becomes a chef out of that. Um, it's fascinating. It's, it's such a good book. Nice. I will add it to our, uh, our list. <laughs> um, the last full, like full album you listened to. The last full album I listened to. Um, gosh, that is a really good question. Uh, cause we do so much streaming. Um, I think, and this is not to brag, but we put on the Clash's Sandinista yesterday, which is like three discs, and we listened to that whole way through. So um, it was, you know, an ambitious listen, but uh, that was probably the one. That's it. Yeah. What was the last <laughs> podcast you listened to? Um, I think it was Hollywood Handbook. Okay. Um, <laughs> so which decade has your favorite crop of golfers? Ooh, wow. Well, this is a really good question. Um, <laughs> because I feel like the, you know, kind of the cool thing about golf is that it spans many decades. So, you know, like I could say, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe, I mean, like we first see Tiger in the nineties. Um, 
So maybe the nineties, cause you get sort of the tail end of some of those cool eighties golfers and stuff. He's still alive. I mean, he's not as, as productive. So maybe the nineties, I don't know. It's, that's a really good one. The fashion was, was pretty great, uh, in the, in the seventies and the eighties, but, um, yeah, yeah, I'll go 90s. Okay, I like it. And I hope we actually bring some of that 70s golf fashion back because it was Sweet. really good. Yeah. Um, what is the favorite, what's like the favorite golf course you've ever played? Um, hmm. Well, I, um, I, I, I know you were listening to the, uh, yes. the, uh, the Seve, uh extended version of the story. So I'm going to say St. Andrews, Himalayas. Yes, the Himalayas. I love it. And if you don't mind sharing, what is that? What is the Himalayas at St. Andrews? The Himalayas at St. Andrews is, um, it's like a little putting course that they have sort of off to the side that's run by the ladies auxiliary of St. Andrews. And it's like five pounds to play. And it's, it's like mini golf, but it's insane. Um, and it's got like all these crazy hills and it's like really, really challenging. Um, and it's super fun. And if you go to St. Andrews and you don't have the money or the talent to actually play 18 holes there, play 18 holes at Himalayas, it's as good, perhaps better than playing the old course. And it sounds like the people watching is, is relatively good there too. It's amazing. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, you know, like because it's, I mean, I, I don't really even fully understand like St. Andrews feels more like a public trust than like a private golf course. Like I feel like if you or I just kind of walked onto Augusta, we'd probably get arrested, um, you know, without like proper credentials from the press yeah. or whatever, but yeah. like, you know, like, like literally anybody can just kind of walk you know, around the old course. I'm like, I feel like dogs running around. Um, you know, like I feel like people just take their kids to run around. Like, it's like, this is like the birthplace of golf. It's, you know, a hallowed institution. It's like a cathedral to me. And yet like, you can just stroll. So, um, it's, it's totally different than like American country club living, um, in a way that I think is just totally amazing. So perfect. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, same question, but like kind of a three-parter. So your favorite okay. band or artist of the 70s, 80s, and 90s? Oh, okay. My favorite band from the 70s is probably The Clash. Um, my favorite band from the 80s is hmm, um, They Might Be Giants. And my favorite band from the 90s, hmm, huh. I'm trying to think of somebody who actually like emerged from the nineties rather mm. than just picking somebody who just had a big career. Um, oh, pavement. I'll go. All pavement. right. Perfect. And last one is how would you describe yourself in five-ish words? Five-ish words. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, I am smart, cool, good looking, talented, and um, whew, uh, completely self-deprecating. Five-ish. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, we are a golf podcast, so I would love to hear what was your journey with golf? When did you start playing? Um, you know, I'm not actually a very good golfer. I'm going to start by saying that. So I need to it's backtrack fine. a little here because, um, I don't want you, like, I know that you have like a bunch of like actual yeah. players who, who come on the pod. And so like, I don't want to like 
position myself alongside these incredibly talented ladies who are either like really good in college and went on to have careers or, you know, sure. just like, you know, we started in like age five and have, have you know, been playing ever since. So um, I actually kind of came to it late. Um, like I grew up um, on the North shore of Long Island where we have a bunch of really good munis and um, a lot of like my peers had home sort of adjacent to the golf course, if not very close. And so um, there were a lot of parties, not that I attended, uh, but parties on the weekends that would be sort of spilling over onto the golf course. <laughs> and so, um, and as I say, this is all just hearsay because of course I would never ever go onto a golf course and drink from a keg, of course but, um, but yeah, so I, I sort of became aware of like that like golf courses sort of existed as part of the landscape because there were just so many. Um, and then, yeah, I think like I kind of first picked up a club when I got married. Uh, my husband's dad is a big golfer and my husband's also a golfer. And so I would kind of just go out to the driving range with him and um, with my husband and sometimes my father-in-law um, and just, you know, hit balls and, you know, kind of learned how to play like, you know, probably in my thirties. So okay. Really late. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> a lot of people though do start that way, right? They start way later in life. Um, yeah. because either someone introduced them to it or they had more time for it or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. What hobbies or activities were you more invested in then? Um, doing music probably yeah. and, and doing school. Like I was, you know, really interested in, in academics and, and getting my degrees and all these other things. And so, yeah, probably just doing music. I was a big kind of theater music nerd and yeah. all of that stuff. And as opposed to being like a complete athlete. Yeah. Yeah. What did you study? Uh, in college? Yeah. Or, um, yeah. I was a sociology major. Okay. Okay. And when did you realize then that you wanted to be more of a writer or a singer songwriter or any of the above? <laughs> Um, I kind of always wanted to do that stuff. Like I always kind of knew that I was good at writing and that I was good at music, but I also kind of knew that there was not, um, really a, like a career path of, you know, being a professional sort of, I was a classical piano player. So I knew that that was like a really, really narrow field. Um, but I went to grad school in Indiana, um, at IU Bloomington and, um, that's where I did my undergrad. Sorry no. to interrupt you. Oh yes. my God. Awesome. <laughs> Go yes, Hoosiers. Hoosiers. <laughs> Big 10 forever. Um, so like, so you, I mean, maybe you knew this or maybe not. Um, but like, there's a, like, solid indie rock scene there like that's where yes. um the jag jaguar is and i was friends with all of those guys and so like i was kind of in bands always throughout like college and then in grad school um and so i, I kind of knew that it was something that i was good at like i knew it was something i could do and just like be in bands and then like i you know realized that i could write songs when i started hearing lots of dudes writing songs and i was like these are not good and i can do better and i will do better um and that was really what the impetus was and so at what point did you so I, did you start doing like acting as a singer songwriter and then at what point did you also pick up being a reporter or or more of a feature writer i suppose yeah, it's a it's a kind of um, it's a little bit of a murky trajectory. I want to say that like so I was 
I was working in nonprofit for a really mm. long time. Like I got out of grad school and I took a couple nonprofit jobs, the first in Louisville, Kentucky, and then another one in San Francisco. Um, and then I moved to New York and that I guess was like 2005. And I just got really burned out. I got like mm. super burned out. And like, cause I was, I work in education policy and I was, um, going around to like these really underserved school districts. And I was on the road like six months out of the year. And um, I was, it's just really lonely and it's super depressing because you see like all this deprivation and everything. And so like I had the opportunity to do some copywriting for VH1, um, which, you know, for the uninitiated because now we live in a modern age where like television isn't a thing. That's um, right. <laughs> There's like a music television channel where they used to play music videos. Now I think they basically recycle reality TV programs or something. So anyway, I did some copywriting for them. And then that kind of parlayed into like picking up a book review here or there, like a music mm -hmm. review. And then my husband and I um, moved down to DC and we wrote for the Washington Post a little bit and doing music reviews for them and NPR. And, you know, one thing just kind of spun off into the next thing. And then the band, I guess I formed the Paranoid Style like officially in 2012, I think was like where we put our, like that was the time the band was born, but it was like this burgeoning thing that was kind of existing like in different iterations. And I was playing a couple bands in New York. Um, and so like, I it was probably all around that like 2008, 2009 time. Um, I, that's a really long answer to probably a much easier question. No, that was kind of what I wanted. Cause I was like, how did she get here? <laughs> like, how did she get to the ringer and writing golf features and then the golfer's journal? And then on top of this, you have this other life of, you know, the paranoid. And like, I'm just like, I need to know how, how did we get to this point? Uh, so that, that actually was very helpful. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah. Yes. Um, the ringer I started writing for, I think like in probably around 2019 or 2018. Oh. Um, and that was awesome because like, like my editor, Chris just wrote to me and like, he was a fan of the band and a fan okay. of my Twitter and um, a fan of some of the things I had written, like uh, for a publication called Lawyers, Guns and Money. And so he just wrote and he said, you know, pitch me. And so I did because I'm like, it's the ringer. I mean, you know, right. this is like one of the most awesome sports and culture publications that I can think of. So it's been awesome. It's a huge honor. So you do a lot of music reviews and music features for The Ringer. Um, I I had seen your Carol King piece a while ago, okay. but like I love her. So I, like, oh, nice. I was like, I need to like reread this and then listen to an album. And I, it was great. It was great to read that. But um, how did golf then become part of your repertoire? <laughs> Um, well, I think as I like always was interested in golf, um, like, as I say, you know, I was, I was always sort of aware of golf and golf is one of these things like both my parents play. And so, you know, it's something that's kind of always on TV or whatever. And once I started to like pick up a sports illustrated or a book or whatever, you know, that's just lying around about a golfer, like you realize like they have these like crazy personalities, a lot of them. I mean, you know, some of them you know, they're just cardboard or whatever, but, right. you know, they have these uh, in just amazing, um, 
poetic lives. And um, that was something that was really compelling to me. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, learn more about that because I think, you know, when you're doing songwriting or any kind of writing, really, it's like, the, you know, you're always trying to think about like, what's the story here? And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a beautiful sport. Um, I don't really, you know, necessarily understand like all the Byzantine rules or anything, but I think that there's just like so many great stories out there. And so um, it was just something that like was always intriguing to me. And I think it actually has like some parallels to music as well. And, and like, not necessarily all of the components of the rock and roll lifestyle, but some of it I find to be sort of, um, comparable and so just I've, I've always been a really big fan of that and so um I think I wanted to write about Vandeveld because I found his <laughs> I found his meltdown to be one of the like <laughs> saddest and most exciting um stories in all of professional sports and so I pitched that to Chris at the ringer and he was like I didn't even know this happened because I sent him the whole video where he just kind of takes his shoes off and it's just like oh my god this is horrible and you can't stop watching it and so he let me kind of write that and from there spun off the Trevino story and then mm -hmm. I you know got contacted by Travis at Golfer's Journal and so it's just kind of built out of my fascination with the meltdown and you know the the sort of poetic aspect of golf which i love i think we you know if we're in golf every day we get really caught up in the rules and the latest thing going on in a tournament where these athletes have really intriguing stories and moments in their lives so i think it's great but i do love how you bring in other like genres comedy and history into your golf writing um like you did with the Sevy piece and like avant-garde directors and folklore is this a common format that you use or like where did you pull in that parallel well for the Sevy story I mean Travis Hill at the Golfer's Journal um asked me to pitch him and um I always love Sevy I mean he seems like such a he's the most one of the most interesting individuals uh that, that has ever played the sport and has ever walked the earth in my opinion and i said you know what maybe we can do something about sevi and he was like sevi has been done to death i am very concerned about this and i said like why don't we make him a piece of spanish folklore and we can compare him to artists and um filmmakers and you know bring in this this folklore aspect and you know and he said that, that was that was a pretty good idea so it kind of actually spun out of needing to make the story unique but um I, you know it's always fun to kind of place something into a little bit of a foreign context so like i like to link you know pieces of art like music or whatever to you know politics or you know comedy or or history or, or, you know, a, a poem or something like, so it's, it's always kind of, because I feel like my beat, unfortunately, is kind of like driving this nostalgia train sometimes. So I'm doing a lot of anniversary pieces or yeah. like a, you know, like 35 years of, you know, after Lee Trevino, Lee Trevino won his last, his major. And like, 
So it's like, oh, you know, like this is not a very healthy thing to do because I'm just rehashing old culture. So I'm really, (laughs) really trying my best to put a new spin on things because otherwise I am just that person who like cannot get out of the past. And so, and I I understand it can be like a sort of dangerous thing to just be a nostalgia merchant. So (laughs) it's a little bit like, like an assignment to myself to like make it interesting and not just like, you know, be afraid of new things. Right. So then what kind of topics then pique your interest? Is it like a moment in time? Is it a topic, a person? What what like kind of like gets the hook for you? With golf, um sure. with, with golf, I think it is like the personalities. And um y- you know, I think like one of the fascinating things about golf is that like you can have an individual who is great one week and just absolutely bombs the next week. And so, and like to watch the, like the sort of psychological underpinnings of a person's game and, and watching them, you know, either totally dominate and just be like a complete assassin or really, really melt down. Um, it's just like, I mean, I feel bad saying that I enjoy both of those um, because I don't like to watch people fail unless I really don't like them. But um, it's it's really part of the the enjoyment of it and the excitement of it. So I do think with with golf, it's like if you've got somebody who is a little bit on the edge or is or like with Lee, you know, he's just such a huge personality um, that everybody loves. And also, you know, he kind of breaks up the like monochromatic aspect of golf in so many ways. So he was like very, very interesting to me just because I think he's really funny and um, and clearly, you know, had a point of view about things. And that's really refreshing, especially in golf. Um, so yeah, I think personality um, and then linking things to like maybe a political moment or something like is, but yeah, it's every, every project is different. So yeah, I, I will to... be curious as we, you know, we are in a, a moment of, yeah. you know, with, diversity and inclusion and I will be curious to see what are the golf stories then that come out of this moment um and when we look back how will we identify those who were were great in that moment how will we identify those who maybe who didn't do as much um Mm -hmm. and tell those stories right so yeah it is interesting yep well, I want to talk a little bit about like the music side of your life and then we're going to okay. bring them together. Um, okay. So you are part of a band called The Paranoid Style. How did this band come together and when and what is that story? Um, so I, let's see, I was playing in a band with, with my friend Beth called Bird of Youth. So it was her band and, and I was playing in her band um, and my husband had a band and um, his band broke up and we moved. So I had to kind of part ways with Bird of Youth amicably. Um, and we were living in my husband's parents' basement um, in DC while we were trying to figure out where we were going to live and going insane um, because it, it was the year of the snowpocalypse. And so there was um, 30,000 feet of snow outside and we were in the basement of my in-laws house. And so we started to songs to completely um, preserve our sanity. And um, it was really fun. And because we wanted to kind of oops, distance ourselves uh, from 
husband's old band, like mm. we decided to like do the project. And um, so it was like maybe, you know, 2010 or something. And so we just started writing these songs. We started recording them. And um, I kind of just took the lead because I'm just total control freak. So it, it was like, no, this is going to be my thing. And I, he was very um, charitably willing to step away from, you know, the lead singer piece of it and just became like the main guitarist and yeah. my partner in, uh, in everything. So, and then I, you know, put together a band with friends of ours, my friend Bennett, who played in a band called the A-Bones, who are a very cool garage band. Um, I always wanted to play in a band with him. So I asked him to join. And then we've kind of pulled in people, my friend, William Matheny, who's a West Virginia kind of like insanely good player, always plays with us. And he agreed to come and record with us. And so I put together like all the people that I wanted to work with and the people that I loved. And um, yeah, we've just been kind of going along ever since. And um, we were really fortunate because we kind of got a little bit of critical love early on, mm. which is like a, a sort of a big deal. Um, it's it's a bit rare because there's just, you know, a hundred thousand bands and right. with streaming and everything, it's like your your consciousness gets so fractured. So um, we, we kind of like managed to like lock into a moment when like it was kind of, you know, um, there was like a little bit of a boomlet of like women songwriters, guitar band kind of things. And so it, it was good timing for us. I mean, not that we're popular, but um, so yeah. So we, and yeah, so I guess that was like 2012, as I say, was when I say we officially kind of became the worldwide phenomenon that we are yes, today. Of course. Yes. Um, do you guys have anything on the horizon? Well, it's been so hard to do anything, yeah. obviously, um, in the pandemic, um, but we are supposed to go into the studio, um, vaccines permit in May to record our next record. Sweet. So, I know, I'm psyched. If we can do it, it's going to be really good because we haven't been able to do anything. So we've just been kind of writing and, and, you know, practicing and hoping for the best. Oh, excited. We'll just keep an eye out for it. Um, I would like to discuss now the influence music has on Gaul. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think, and you alluded to it earlier, of course, but people mm -hmm. listen to music when they play. Um, you created the Dirty Groove playlist for the Golfers Journal, for example. <laughs> and we see plenty of musicians who love golf and play golf as well. What What is it about golf and music that is appealing? Um... Well, I would say, I, I mean, they're both pretty meditative. I mean, if we want to mm -hmm. just talk about like the experience of listening to music or the experience of playing golf or, or even like watching golf, you know, yeah. um, you know, and, and like, you know, if you listen to an album, it's, it can often be like a full experience, you know, like there's a beginning and an end and there's sometimes like, like a story even that, you know, is tenuously threaded throughout. And so that's kind of like, you know, playing nine holes or 18 holes where it's a journey, you know, um, or you could just listen to like a, a playlist, which is, you know, a little more of just like, you know, curated highs that you enjoy, um, which I, you know, I think is an, a fine way to, to listen to music as well. I, I, you know, stream things all the time. Um, but um, like if, and I, I don't know if this is a, a question that you are, you know, asking um but if you'll allow me to free associate for a Please. moment i yeah. mean i i think you know part of the fun of being a golf fan and doing a band is that um 
golf is kind of one of these things that's always on, like, it, mm. you know, like, it, well, it's on, you know, most of the time and you can usually find also highlights anywhere. Um, and in my experience, like you can kind of drop in at any point in uh, like watching a game of golf, like, and you know, what's going on. Like you can yeah. kind of figure it out. Um, and if you are a golf fan, like you have your guys or whatever, and um, you know, you, but there's also just some always to follow. That's really interesting. So with, when you play music or you're recording music or out on tour or whatever, you spend a lot of time just like sitting around waiting for things to happen. So like, it's always kind of easy to like find a TV, find a bar, find somewhere that golf is on. And, you know, the other thing about sports is that it's a very sort of universal thing that people can kind of all agree on. Like, you know, it's a little bit weirder if it's like, oh, let's just put on, you know, CNN or something. Cause like politics yeah. can get a little dicey nowadays. So like, you, you know, people can always kind of rally around sports. And so golf is one of these things where it's like, you can just kind of watch it and like, you don't necessarily have to sit around for the whole thing, but you know, it's always, it's just kind of always there. So it's real yeah. comforting. And so if you're out on the road, you can find golf and, you know, it's fun to actually, you know, go out to the driving range too. Uh, you know, you can always find a driving range in any town USA. Like, you mm -hmm. know, it's usually pretty inexpensive to find. They're open weird hours. Um, and, um, you know, to link it again to rock and roll, like, you know, it's an outdoor thing. You can get some exercise, but you don't have to be like a tremendous athlete. So like a lot, you can, you know, take out people of differing levels of athleticism and ability and just go play for fun and you can right. drink in yep. the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. um, this is not something that you are allowed to do at a YMCA shooting hoops. I right. don't know that from experience, but um, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> so no it's, I mean, it's inside the court <laughs> like they would be on the golf course. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying like I've heard <laughs> things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So yeah. again, a long answer to a question. Um, I, I do think that they they have parallels. And I do think, you know, a lot of musicians, I, I mean, it's funny because I feel like if you if you sat down and just thought about it for a second, you'd be like, that's like the least rock and roll thing is golf, right? It's like right. elitist white men, rich people, uh, you know, it's very like buttoned up and like, but you know, then you think about like a dude like Sevy and he's like, you know, sort of punk rock personified, you know, he had all of these loose ends that were out, you know, he wasn't perfectly buttoned up all the time and he was willing to do really wild things, you know? And, and so I, I think, you know, there, there are these kind of neat little parallels. Once you start to pull a thread, like you can find things that are actually fairly adjacent to rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. And then in addition to, I think like music, very much can take you to a place like a mindset or um a feeling mm -hmm. and the same thing like I get the same type of thing when I'm on a golf course when I like I'm gonna tee off and I'm gonna like just go walk with whoever I'm playing with mm -hmm. like I put myself in a mindset of like I'm like chill and I'm hanging out with these people and like I, I, I'm not competitive so I guess that's <laughs> yeah. a little different for other people so yeah. if I'm going to recreationally play um, it like puts me in a mood and so does music music like yeah. puts me in a mood and I think it, it certainly could go for any activity you do but that's how I feel 
I, I love that. And I think that's really true. And I think that's another thing that's kind of interesting about golf and music is that like, it can be a very sort of like isolating kind of thing that you do by yourself. Like you put headphones in and it's this mm. intimate experience of listening to music. And, you know, if you just go out and, um, you know, like you're just looking to, you know, play with strangers or whatever, um, you know, like you could just kind of hang out and not actually talk to anybody if you're just trying to work on something or whatever you're just at the driving range and you know like it's it can be a very individual sport because you're playing you know against other people but it's really you know you're sort of playing yourself or something yeah. and so there's that but then it is there there is a community around it too like you know and that's you know if you go to a show or whatever um you you might not know anybody but you all have this one thing in common yeah and you know that guy over there is like enjoying the same thing that you are and there's community and so like it's not quite the same as like just joining up randomly with a group you know to join a foursome or whatever but you can right. meet people you can network you can and you kind of all are there for the same thing so that was a tenuous uh, connection but I'll go with it. We'll take it. (laughs) Um, Well, and I do love like in the latest version of Golfer's Journal, you do talk about the Augusta National theme song and we will make people subscribe to the Golfer's Journal to get the full effects. We will not not overshare, but um, I just like thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, I like was laughing out loud while reading it. Um, But I do think like while reading your article and even though the lyrics are a little absurd, Mm -hmm. um, the instrumentals of the song like do take you to Augusta. They like, they take you to the broadcast. They take you to April. And I think it's so interesting. Like we get that with like movie soundtracks for sure. Like you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's the Star Wars soundtrack. Got it. Yeah, but it's cool that we like have that in golf too where we have these like championship songs that we get. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Um, I, I totally agree. And, and it's, it, you're so right. Like the second that you hear it, you're just transported. I mean, you see, you know, Ray's Creek and everything like, it's like this visceral thing of just like, I, I mean, you know, it's as powerful as any other sensual experience. You know, it's like a smell that transports you back to like your childhood or something. It's like you hear just a couple notes and you're there. Um, some, maniac put a loop of just the instrumental on youtube and you can just listen to that for like nine straight hours i don't know why you would want to but i'm like kind of happy that it's there right happy it exists (laughs) it's in the world for us to enjoy (laughs) exactly i don't know why anyone would do it but i mean it can probably be very meditative maybe you can have like a complete psychedelic experience just you know after maybe. about hour four i'm not sure but <laughs> yes um i'm glad i'm glad you enjoyed that and that was a really fun one to write and i just remember being like i will never ever get invited to augusta uh after i publish this but it's worth it it was great it was great <laughs> Thank you. um are you a fan of music on the golf course or do you just like to be like with nature Oh, I don't, you know, I don't really feel that strongly about it. I think it can yeah. be really cool, you know, like, um, you know, like it's, if you're just going out to hang out and have fun, which is basically what we do, um, you know, it's like kind of going to the beach or something, you know, you can bring tunes along and jam and that's kind of fun. I mean, yeah. 
So yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously being with nature is great and everything, but um, like, I, you know, I'm a distance runner. So I always listen to music um, if I'm not listening to a podcast or something. And I was having a conversation the other day with a friend who was like, how can you do that? I love listening to nature so much. And I was like, oh my God, I'd go insane if I had to listen to the sound of my own thoughts uh, constantly. So I think, yeah, definitely. Unless it bothers somebody else, in which case have good decorum. Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you said you sometimes listen to a podcast when you run. I like to listen to a podcast or like a book on tape when I play golf. I I don't, I don't know why I think I just like, I would get bored if I was just playing golf and, and even just music. Like, I think like, I kind of need that distraction. Um, but I often get made fun of by my friends for doing that. (laughs) Um, so, so I was like, oh, I'm glad she listens to a podcast too. It makes me feel better. (laughs) Oh, heck yeah. (laughs) Um, well, I always end the podcast with just what advice you have for women of any age, um, who wants to pick up the sport? Um, well, I would say absolutely do it. If you have the inclination, um, I would say don't take any crap from dudes. And this is the same advice that I would give any woman who's looking to get into rock and roll. Um, Mm. you know, it's, it's still pretty male dominated. We've made a lot of strides. Um, but it's, you know, it can be pretty intimidating to go out into a golf course as a, you know, a, smaller person who maybe doesn't have as much strength. And so you're not carrying the ball as far and as quickly and they kind of creep up on you and they're looking at you and they're smoking their cigars and they're being awful and, you know, accusing you of slow play. And I mean, obviously good decorum always, but like, just be prepared to stand up for yourself and, you know, have fun, Um, find, you know, other advocates join like a, for the ladies, uh, what is it called? A clinic? Um, a clinic, you know, yes. do stuff. Yeah. Find, find other women who want to play, um, you know, and, and, or, you know, find other dudes who want to play. I don't care, you know, but it's, it's a lot like actually being in a rock band. It's like, you know, don't be afraid to like get up there and, and, you know, have fun and be ready to fail a lot. Um, because that's how you learn. And so you just got to keep practicing and keep getting up there. So that, I, I mean, that's probably terrible advice, but yeah, just don't be afraid of dudes. That's, that's my, my biggest piece of advice. It's like, don't let men tell you what to do. Yeah. We just, we, we let intimidation and like the imposter syndrome take over. Yeah. And I hope, I just hope the more we, the more we talk about it, the more we say it over and over again, the more you'll, people will be convinced to just go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I hope, so. I hope I see it more. Cause I know you were saying like, I was listening to an episode of four of the ladies and I won't keep you much longer, but um, you were saying that like 57,000 people have come to the game during the pandemic, which I just think is amazing. I think you were speaking to a woman about like golf course fashion and how yeah. that is like going to probably evolve so much because there's so many more people coming to the game. And I was like really psyched when I heard that, because I do think that, you know, mentioning like just inclusivity and getting more diverse faces out there and more women and getting more coverage of women playing golf and all of this other stuff can only be for the good. And it would be so great to not have the sport just die because it's become this like dinosaur of elite white maledom and so I love the sport and obviously I love a lot of the elite white males that play it but I would love it if it was a you know more diverse palette and so I'm really looking forward to seeing where it's going in the future yeah me too well thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. Our original music is composed and performed by my talented and wonderful friend, Ryan Young. If you're looking for more from For The Ladies, visit us at fortheladies.net and on Instagram at fortheladies. That's F-O-R-E. Thank you.